If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. And um, while you're turning there, I, I do just want to say how uh, thankful I am for the opportunity to be with you and to speak uh, to you tonight. Um, it's always so exciting to be back here, to be in a place um, amongst family and a place where people uh, love you and appreciate you as much as you all do. And um, I want you to know that the feeling is mutual. We just love you guys so much and we're so thankful uh, for what God is, is doing in this church and in this season. And um, just the reports that I've, I've been hearing as I talk to Andrew and I talk to Felix and Noah and uh, of what God's doing in this season. I'm just, I'm just so grateful. And uh, Pastor Lee and Sister Carla, we just love you guys so much. And just thank you for the opportunity to be back tonight. And uh, we just love you guys so much. Genesis chapter 32. Um, I want to speak to you tonight from a thought that I have entitled, When Wrestling Can Do What Rescue Cannot. When Wrestling Can Do What Rescue Cannot. Genesis chapter 32, and we're going to begin reading in verse 24, just reading four or five verses as we begin tonight. Genesis 32, verses 24 through 28. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to Jacob, what is your name. And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. When wrestling can do what rescue cannot. Let's just pray one more time. Father, I thank you with all of my heart for the opportunity that I have to stand before these, your people, and to share your word. Father, I thank you for the purposes and the intentions that are in your heart tonight, God. The things that you desire to see accomplished in us and through us by the truth of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would help us tonight, God, to hear your voice. God, that you would give every one of us in this house the ability to see to hear and to receive everything that is in your heart for us at this moment and in this time. Father, when it's all said and done as we do now, we'll be sure to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. In the Genesis story, there's no one who seems to nearly jeopardize the call of God on their life like Jacob. His very name, Jacob, it means schemer deceiver, manipulator, cheater. It's evident from the time that Jacob is initially called by God that there is a unique and a distinct calling on Jacob's life. Jacob is called by God. That's undeniable. But Jacob doesn't always act as though he's called by God. It's like everywhere Jacob goes, Jacob is in conflict with someone or something. 
It's, it's like if you find Jacob, you're going to find trouble. He's one of those people in the history of God using people to accomplish His will in the earth. He's one of those people that kind of confuse the Bible reader, especially the first time Bible reader. Because you're reading about Jacob and you're seeing his many mistakes and mishaps, his many faults and his many failures, and you're wondering like, yo God, are you sure this is the guy that you want to use to accomplish your will and your plan in the world? But what's amazing is that despite his many and varied character flaws, over and over and over again, we see God reaffirming the call that he has on Jacob's life. And it's not God always affirming Jacob, his person or his character, but it's God affirming his promises to him despite him. And beloved, if we're honest about it, God doesn't wait until we have it all together to use us. Somebody say amen right there on a Wednesday night. God doesn't wait until we have it all together to use us. He uses us despite us. Despite imperfections, despite inconsistencies, God finds a way to use us in ways that boggle our minds and the minds of those who live around us. Those who see the same imperfections and inconsistencies that we do. And that's what we call grace. It's God's willingness to give to us or to do through us what we're not worthy of or what we don't deserve. However, like Jacob, God's use of us does not exempt us from him wanting to do a deeper and more profound work in and through our lives. Because although God can use us despite us, Sometimes the degree to which he wants to use us is not fully realized because of our unwillingness to submit all of us to all of him. Because of the struggle that we consistently have to submit our person, not just our calling and not just our gifting, but the struggle that we consistently have to submit our person to his lordship and to his control. Beloved, grace is not just God's willingness to overlook and bypass. Grace is also God's willingness to confront and change. Grace is God's willingness to overlook and bypass. To do for us that which we're not worthy or deserving of. But grace is also God's willingness to confront us in our error and bring about lasting and eternal change in and through our lives for his glory. Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and, and, verses 11 and 12 tell us that grace is not just God's agent of forgiveness and salvation. It is also his agent of conviction and transformation. His grace is the avenue or the means through which he progressively and consistently makes us less like ourselves and more like Christ. And so at times, what God will do is God will allow us to be brought into seasons that help us to realize that he's more interested in the development of our character than he is the doing of our 
calling. He'll allow us to be isolated, to be brought into seasons of loneliness and even weakness. To get us to realize that more than being interested in our gifting, in our calling, he's interested in us. Because if he can get us, if he can truly become Lord of all, if he can truly become the Lord of our lives, then there's no limit to what he can do in us and through us. He knows that if he gets us, if he gets our surrender, if he gets our yieldedness, if he gets our total abandonment to him and his will for our lives, that there's nothing that can limit us from being the person that he's called and created us to be. So at times he'll allow us to be brought into seasons where we realize that he's more interested in us than he is what he can do through us or what we can do for him. And I think this is Jacob in Genesis chapter 32. In Genesis 32 verses 6 through 8, the Bible begins to tell us about a moment in Jacob's life when he learns that his brother Esau is coming to meet him. Now, Jacob, if anyone has suffered at the hand of Jacob's treachery and deception and manipulation, It's Esau. And so when he learns of Esau coming to meet him, by this time, Esau has become affluent. Esau Esau has become influential. Esau has amassed not only a great fortune, but a number of men who are military men. By this time, Esau, again, has amassed in the natural Um, what Jacob has always striven after and what he's always tried to achieve by his own means and his own power. And so when he hears that Esau is coming to meet him, the Bible says in verses 6 through 8 of Genesis 32 that Jacob is stricken with fear. Because Jacob begins to think that his treachery and his deceit is finally catching up to him and that Esau is not coming to say, hello brother, it's nice to see you. Esau is coming to kill him. Esau is coming to enact vengeance for Jacob's failure to live up to the man of God that God had called and destined him to be. And so in verses 9 through 12, Jacob begins to pray. And when you read Jacob's prayer, and maybe it doesn't seem this way to you, but it seems this way to me, that Jacob prays, and his prayer is kind of like this trying to convince God as to why he's worthy of his deliverance in this moment. Trying to prove to God that he's worthy of God's intervention and God's rescue in this moment and that God should step down from heaven and spare him from the wrath that Esau wants to inflict upon his life. He spends approximately four verses or so praying and crying out to God. And then as soon as he's done praying... Beginning in verse 13, he goes back to his normal ways and he begins to scheme and devise a plan as to how he's going to appease Esau's wrath. There are twice as many verses in Genesis 32 concerning Jacob's scheming than there is Jacob's praying. Jacob schemes more than he does pray. You see, we act according to what we really believe. 
Jacob is professing trust in God with his lips, but demonstrating that he truly doesn't trust God with his actions. And so, wanting to at least save his family, the Bible says that he sends his family ahead while he stays behind to finish contriving his way through this situation. How am I going to get myself out of this? I've gotten myself through a lot of things. I've gotten myself out through a lot of situations, through my own contriving and my own scheming, and perhaps one more time, I'll be able to get myself out of this. Sends his family forward. And this is where, where we began to read tonight. The story picks up. Genesis chapter 32 and verse 24, the Bible says this, and Jacob was left alone. And a man began to wrestle with him. You know, alone is hard. Especially in moments like this. Especially in moments where your heart is stricken by fear because of the situations and the circumstances that have befallen your life alone is hard. And it's not just being alone that's scary. It's the inner wrestling that comes with being alone that's truly scary. It's when you're alone and you're left to your own thoughts. And you're left to your own doubts. And you're left to your own insecurities. And you're left to your own devising and your own scheming. Being left alone in moments like this is hard. Because you begin to see things about yourself that you didn't realize were there. Your mind begins to say things to you that sometimes are not true. And you're seeing things on the inside of you that you were not aware of in the first place. Being left alone is hard. When we're left alone and the doing as usual has ceased, we can begin to become convinced that God is absent or indifferent toward us. In moments like this, it's so easy in seasons of loneliness where it feels like we've been separated and it feels like we've been isolated by the circumstances and situations of life. We can so easily become convinced that God is absent or indifferent toward us. We become convinced that God is no longer for us like He once was. We become convinced that because of our failure and because of our mishap, that God's hand has been removed from our lives and that we're beyond the hope of being rescued and saved because we've blown it one too many times. But you know, I'm coming to realize that it's in moments like this where I believe that God is actually nearer and more active than He's ever been before. Sometimes what feels like loneliness here is the catalyst for intimacy here. What feels like isolation here is the catalyst for nearness to God. It's the catalyst upon which we draw nearer to God and we see more of his faithfulness in our lives than we've ever seen before. Sometimes you don't realize how near and active God really is until it seems that God is all that you have. Sometimes you don't realize how present 
and how presently active he is in your life until it seems that he is all that you have. Jacob in this moment is praying for deliverance. But instead, God isolates him and God wrestles with him. God answers his prayer, but he doesn't answer his prayer in the way that Jacob was hoping or anticipating that he would. Because you see, God knew that there was something that isolation and wrestling could do that just deliverance from his enemies could not do. There was something that isolation and separation and God coming down to wrestle with Jacob. There was something that that activity of God could do that just deliverance from external enemies could not do. You see, more than wanting to deliver Jacob from Esau, God wanted to deliver Jacob from Jacob. Because Esau wasn't the greatest threat to God's purposes and intentions for Jacob's life. Jacob was. It wasn't what was out here that was most threatening the fulfillment of God's plans and God's purposes through Jacob's life. It was really what was in here. That was most hindering Jacob from becoming in fullness the man that God had called and that God had created him to be. And beloved, so it is with us. More than God wants to deliver us from our enemies, he wants to deliver us from us. Because the greatest enemy to what God wants to do through our lives is not what's out there. It's what's in here. It's the doubt. It's the brokenness. It's the bitterness. It's the pride. It's the unforgiveness. It's the critical attitude and spirit. It's the unbelieving heart. That's that thing that we refuse to unmask. The thing that we refuse to admit. The thing that we refuse to give over to God. That's what truly hinders God from being able to do in us and through us all that He wants to do. There's no devil in hell and there's no person in this world that can stop the plan of God from being fulfilled in and through your life if you'll trust and believe God. But I can tell you an unbelieving heart can stop it. An unwillingness to go all the way with God. An unwillingness to yield all of ourselves to all of Him. The only thing that can hinder God's purposes and God's plans from being fully accomplished in and through our lives is not what's out there. It's not what's across the church from you. It's what's on the inside of you. It's what's on the inside of me. That is the thing. That has the ability, if I allow it, to keep me from becoming the person that God has created and destined me to be. And sometimes we're not aware of and we're not willing to let God heal us of those things until we're brought to a place like Jacob was. Until we finally begin to realize that at the end of the day, God is more concerned with us than He is our calling. 
He's more concerned with having us than he is having our talents and our gifts. Because as I said earlier, if he has us, then there's no limit to what he can do through us. Jacob, I can and I have done all of these great things through you. But Jacob, what I really want is you. Jacob, I've accomplished an awful lot through your life. I've used you despite flaw and despite failure to put hell to shame and to forward the kingdom of God. Jacob, I've done incredible, miraculous things in and through your life, and I have the intention to do so much more. But Jacob, it's about time that you realize that what I'm really after is not your stuff, and it's not your gifts. What I'm really after, Jacob, is you. I want your total trust. I want your total surrender. I want you to allow me into the places in your heart that you've never allowed other people into before. Jacob, I want you. I want you. And so God isolates him. And God wrestles with him. Why does God isolate Jacob and wrestle with Jacob? I think there's a lot that can be said about this, but at the end of the day, I think primarily two things. Number one, God wanted Jacob to admit who he really was apart from God. He wanted Jacob to come to the place to where he admitted that without God and his presence in his life, Jacob had no hope of being the man that God had called and destined him to be. That his own strength and his own resources were insufficient to become the person that God had created and destined him to be. Secondly, and simply put, God wanted Jacob to be a person who depended upon his strength instead of his own. And so God begins to weaken him in order to use him in the way that he wants to. You see, the evidence of God's love for Jacob was not in God affirming Jacob's faulty character. But it was convicting him of and seeking to change his faulty character. You know, there's this verse in Romans chapter 9 and verse 13. And I'm not going to get into the theological implications of it. If you want to do that, you can talk to Nick. He'll be here on Sunday morning. Uh, Nick Godshaw is a little more qualified uh, to talk about this than I am. Uh, but there's this verse in Romans chapter 9 and verse 13 that says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Again, not getting in necessarily to the theological implications of that, But what I do want to ask you is this. If it is true that God loved Jacob and hated Esau, what was the evidence that God loved Jacob and that God hated Esau? How did God manifest love for Jacob and hatred toward Esau? What was the evidence that God loved Jacob more than he loved Esau? I heard one pastor say it like this, that the evidence that God loved Jacob and hated Esau was that God confronted Jacob. God convicted Jacob. 
God did not allow Jacob to persist in a way that would forever limit his testimony and leave him unhealed. I want you to think of this, and you can read the story of Jacob and Esau for yourself in the book of Genesis to find out as to whether or not this is true. But what you'll see in Genesis concerning Jacob and Esau is that God fulfilled every promise of blessing that he ever made to Esau. Every promise of affluence and influence, every promise of prosperity, Every promise that God made concerning blessing, He fulfilled in Esau's life. But what we don't see is God ever disciplining Esau. He just allowed Esau to continue to be Esau. He allowed him to go unconfronted, unconvicted, unchanged. I think one of the greatest judgments that God can pour out on a person is to simply let them go. It's to no longer deal with them, no longer convict them, no longer speak to them in a way that brings about true change and transformation in their lives. And if that is true, then one of the greatest blessings that God can give to a human being, that God can give to a person, is to not let them go. It's to confront them when there are things in their lives that are not right. When there are things in their lives that in the long run will hinder them from being the person that they were created and destined to be. It is God's mercy that He confronts us. It is God's mercy that He meets us and convicts us and challenges us and changes us. You see, God's wrestling with Jacob was really God's rescue of Jacob. And beloved, I want to say to you tonight that the fact that you are convicted about ungodliness in your life, it is not a sign of God's displeasure. It is a sign of His deep concern and care for you. If you presently, right now, in this season, are feeling more challenged more convicted than you've ever felt before. It is not a sign that God is displeased with you. It is a sign that God loves you and that He wants to deal with the thing in you that would keep you from becoming the person that He's called and destined you to be. It's God wanting to free you of the thing that would keep you paralyzed or that would keep you impotent in your calling, and in your purpose. Some of you right now, you're struggling to make sense of why you are where you are. Struggling to see how God is answering your prayers. And if God is answering your prayers, then He's definitely not doing it in a way that you expected or anticipated Him to do it. But beloved, my encouragement to you is simply this. From the Jacob story. Don't confuse wrestling with God's absence or inactivity. Don't confuse conviction with condemnation. Don't confuse being challenged and sometimes corrected by God. 
Don't confuse that with God being absent or inactive. Isolation is not abandonment. Wrestling is not displeasure. Perhaps the wrestling that you're experiencing in this season is God's answer to your prayer. You've prayed, God, make me the man or make me the woman that you want me to be. God, I want to be everything that you've called and created me to be and nothing less. I don't want to stop short of your calling for my life. I don't want to sell myself short. I want to be everything that you've called me to be. God, I surrender. I abandon myself to you. I yield my heart to you. God, I want you to have your way in and through my life. And all of a sudden now I'm experiencing this discomfort. All of a sudden I'm seeing things about myself that I didn't even realize were there. I'm seeing more ungodliness in me than I ever realized was there. And I'm wondering, my God, is this God abandoning me? Is this God being inactive? Is he not doing in me what I prayed that he would do? But I say to you, perhaps he's doing exactly what you asked him to do. Perhaps the deep and painful work that you're experiencing is a sign that God is doing something more profound in your life than you ever thought or dreamed possible. Perhaps God is bringing you to the place to where you're fully convinced of who you are without Him and you're fully convinced of who you can become with Him. That's Jacob. In this moment where he's weakened, In a moment's time, he realizes that God, without you, I am nothing and I can do nothing. But at the same time, he realizes that if God touches him, if God marks him, if God blesses him, then he can become more than he ever thought or dreamed that he would. Jacob says this in Genesis 32, verses 24 through 32. Eventually, he says this, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. In other words, I'm not letting you go until you mark me. I'm not letting you go until you do something so significant in my life that the world will know it was you. I'm not letting you go until I'm sure that I'm going to come out of this season Marked by the presence and the power of God. And beloved, some of you in your weakness tonight, in your wrestling with God, this needs to be the prayer that you begin to pray. That God, I'm not letting go. I'm not going to stop pressing in and pursuing you until you meet me in a way that radically transforms who I am. And brings me closer to being the person that you've called and that you've created me to be. God, I will not let you go unless you mark me, unless you bless me. You know, I love about the story is that after this wrestling match, and after Jacob makes this declaration that I'm not going to let you go until you bless me, the Bible says that God changes his name from Jacob, deceiver, to Israel. One who struggles or one who wrestles with God. That's weird of all the names that God could give him. He gives him the name one who struggles 
or one who wrestles with God. In other words, I think it's one who's honest about who they are without God. The person who has come to the place of realizing and admitting that without God and His presence in their lives, they are wholly incapable of being the person that God has created them to be. It's, it's, it's one who won't stop pressing in until God marks them and changes them. It, it's the one who persists in their pursuit of God despite their persistent struggle. It's one who finally sees their weakness as their greatest blessing. Because in their weakness, they've come to realize the strength that only God can give him. And what God does in Jacob is so profound that God names the entire nation after him. I want you to think of this. God is creating a people for himself. Think of what I'm saying to you. God is creating a people for the first time in history. A nation of people for himself. And of all the names that God could give that nation of people, He gives them the name Israel. One who strives or one who wrestles with God. I mean, if I were God, probably not the name that I'm giving to the people that I'm calling and that I'm creating to be my testimony of glory in the earth. Like a lot of other names would have been fitting for this group of people. But to me, it shows us the, the, the delight that God has in the person or in the people who are honest about who they are and who desperately see their need for Him. The delight that God has in the person, not that has it all together, not the person who's dotted all of their I's and crossed all of their T's, but the person who's come to the place to where they realize and they admit that God, without you, I am nothing. And sometimes we don't come to that realization or, their, or their, that admission easily. And that was the case with Jacob. Beloved, sometimes wrestling can do what rescue cannot. Or I can say it this way, sometimes God's wrestling with us is God's rescue of us. It's God rescuing us from the thing in us that would keep us paralyzed or the thing that would keep us impotent. One commentator said it this way, the way to have power with God is to be broken by God. Jacob had been broken by God, but his limp was a mark of power, not weakness. Another commentator said what Jacob discovered was that the wrestling was a means of God's grace, a channel for God's blessing on him. And the same is true for us. And so my heart tonight is this, if your experience with God as of late has felt more like a wrestling match than revival, I believe God wants to meet you tonight and to speak to you. And I believe He wants to convince you that the hard that you're experiencing, the wrestling, the challenge maybe, that you've been experiencing in your heart, it's not His way of shaming you. It's his way of growing you. 
Hebrews chapter 12 says that God chastens those he loves. That the one who was without confrontation, the one who was without correction, is one whom God does not love. And so if you can sense, if you can feel God in this season of your life, confronting things in you that he wants to change, challenging the status quo of your walk and your relationship with him, challenging you to grow above and beyond the places and the things that you've been content to live with, challenging you to rise above brokenness, to rise above bitterness, to rise above unforgiveness, to rise above deception and manipulation, to rise above striving in your own strength to accomplish what only at the end of the day God can accomplish in and through your life. Beloved, it's not a curse. It is a blessing. It is the evidence that He loves you. And my challenge to you tonight is to simply welcome this work of God in your life. To see His challenging of you, not as condemnation, but as His love and His grace over your life. The devil condemns, God convicts. Conviction leaves you with hope that there's opportunity for lasting change and transformation. Condemnation leaves you in a place of hopelessness and despair, feeling as though there is no opportunity for change and transformation. What I love is at the very end of this story, the Bible says, I love how the text says it, that the sun rose, the dawn came. And when the sun rose, Jacob was a brand new person. And from that day forward, the Bible says that Jacob walked with a limp. And it says that from that day forward, the nation of Israel didn't eat a particular part of the lamb, the hip socket, the hip joint of the lamb because of what God did in Jacob in this moment. God's wrestling with Jacob, this moment of challenge, this moment that most people would see as insignificant. Most people would see this moment of wrestling, challenge, Jacob being weakened and crippled. What glory is there in being weakened and crippled? Most people would see it as insignificant, if not a failure altogether. But God sees it as so profound, Jacob's allowing God to finally bring him to the place of admitting who he is apart from God, that from that day forward, the nation of Israel wouldn't even eat the lamb's hip socket because they realized that it's such a profound and monumental work that God did in and through his life. What God did in Jacob in this wrestling match was so profound that it affected generations to come. And so I'm going to ask the worship team if they can come back up tonight. And I just want to encourage you tonight that sometimes it's not that God isn't answering our prayers. It's just that He's not answering them in the way that we thought or expected that He would. 
Some of you tonight, you would say, man, I've been praying for God to do something significant in and through my life. But you know, in this season, I feel more crippled than I do empowered. Can I say to you that at times, your empowering comes through your weakening. That as you're brought to a place of weakening, as you're brought to a place where you realize that without God, you're nothing, you're actually beginning to walk in the power of God in a way like you've never known or experienced before. Paul himself said it in 2 Corinthians 12, that it's when I'm weak that I'm strong. And maybe it's just for a few, but I just want to help you tonight. And I pray that God would help me in this moment to help you. To help you to identify why you are where you are. That the fact that you're challenged the fact that you're convicted, the fact that you see things about you that are ungodly, unchristlike, it's not a sign that God is absent or God is inactive. Perhaps it's a sign that God is nearer and He's more active in your life than He's ever been before. That He's coming by His grace and by His power you of those things that in the future would keep you from becoming the person that he called and created you to be. That he's meeting you in this place of isolation, in this place of brokenness. And he's tenderly challenging and convicting. And you might say, man, it doesn't feel like he's doing it tenderly. It's difficult. It's hard. It's painful. Beloved, I know where you are. I know how in in these seasons it can be so easy to equate what we're feeling and what we're experiencing with God's absence or inactivity. Beloved, if God was done with you, He would just leave you the way that you are. He would leave you unconvicted. He would leave you unchallenged. He would leave you unchanged greatest judgment that God can pour out on a person is to simply let them go, to no longer speak to them at all. The fact that he's challenging and the fact that he's speaking is evidence that he loves you, beloved. Perhaps you feel crippled. But what I can say to you with full confidence, not just because of the testimony of Scripture, but also because of the experience of my own life is that in your crippling you will discover something of His presence and His power like you've never known before. The depth to which you're weakened and you're crippled, you're going to know His presence and you're going to know His power. Paul said in 2 Corinthians that daily, It feels like we're being handed over to death because of what we're going through and what we're experiencing. But in dying to ourselves, we're coming to be more effective and more life-giving to others than we've ever been before.
Because in our weakening, God's strength is being perfected. And it's no longer Jacob, it's no longer us that's being seen. It's God through us that is being seen and that's being discovered. As we decrease, Jesus is being increased in and through our lives. You know, I was talking with a friend earlier today. And he said, I was just reading through Genesis again. He said, I was reading about Enoch where the scripture says that Enoch walked with God. And then one day Enoch was no more. And my friend said, you know, I read that and I began to wonder, God, how long will it take for me to walk with you until I get to the place where it can be said of me that I am no more? That it's no longer me that lives, that it's no longer me who is seen, that it's no longer me who is heard. That I'm no more and Jesus is everything. And I said, brother, I don't know how long it will take for any of us. But what I do know is that God is not going to give up on us until that's what's being accomplished in and through our lives. That God is patient. He's long-suffering. He's intentional. That he's not going to give up on us even when we're tempted to give up on ourselves. And I look at Jacob and I say, man, God, you should have given up on him from the beginning. This guy started in treachery and deception. And everywhere he went, he caused trouble. Everywhere he went, trouble followed him. God, you should have washed your hands with him long ago. But I love how intentional God is with Jacob. How that despite his frailty, despite his faults, despite his fatuous decisions... God meets with him over and over and over again until finally Jacob comes to the place to where he allows God to become the Lord of his life. That he's not just Savior anymore. He's the Lord of my life. That all of me is given to all of him. That my person, not just my gifting, not just my calling, not just what I can do for him. I don't just pray to him to be anointed. No, all of me is submitted to his lordship. Father, I thank you tonight for your willingness to confront us, God. Your willingness to challenge us. I thank you for your willingness, God, to meet us in our places of brokenness, in our places of fear and timidity. God, I thank you for your willingness, God, that even when others abandon us because of our obvious flaws and failures, God, I thank you for your willingness to remain present and to remain active in our lives. Father, I thank you that when all men forsake us, you don't. God, the psalmist said, David said, that even though my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord is going to take me in every time. God, I thank you that no matter how close we get to hell on this earth, God, you are persistent and you are consistent in chasing us down and running after us and not leaving us the way that we are. 
God correcting within us dysfunction, healing us of past hurt, delivering us from bitterness and anger and anxiety, God, freeing us from the things that would keep us from being the people that you've called us to be. God, I thank you that when we pray for rescue, sometimes you come and wrestle us because it's in your wrestling of us that you truly rescue us. God, where you wrestle out of us, God, the things that would keep us from being the people that you've called us to be and you place in us by your divine power and by your Holy Spirit everything that is necessary in becoming that people. Father, thank you, God, that you don't leave us where we are. Thank you, God, that you walk with us, God. Thank you that there will come a day, God, when it's no longer Ross that is seen and is observed, that it's Jesus that's going to be seen and observed in and through my life. God, thank you for your patience with us. God, thank you for your dealings with us. God, we thank you tonight for your willingness to wrestle us, God. God, we thank you tonight that you don't leave us the way that we are. God, we embrace you, God, every part of your work tonight, everything that you want to do in us and through us by the power of your spirit tonight, we embrace it by faith. We say yes to it. We yield to it, God. And God, if it's for one person tonight, I pray that this word, God, helps them to identify the season that they're in. That although they've equated it to abandonment and inactivity, it's not abandonment and it's not inactivity. You are present and you are presently at work in them and through them, God, to accomplish a very divine and holy purpose in and through their lives. And God, when they come out of this season, perhaps they'll be limping. But God, they'll be depending upon your strength and your power in a way like they've never known before. And God, for the rest of their days, they'll be seen and they'll be known as a person who's been marked by the presence of God. A person who's been marked by your power, my God. A person, God, who persisted in their pursuit of you despite obstacles, despite hell, despite adversity, despite their own failures and flaws. They persisted in their pursuit of you. And because of it, they've been marked by an eternal God. Because of it, God, there's a fire that is lit in them, God, that nothing from hell can extinguish. Father, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you're going to mark us tonight. I thank you that by your spirit, God, you're going to mark us eternally, God. And God, perhaps it would be like the end of Genesis 32, that by the time we wake up tomorrow morning and the sun rises, God, for a new day, God, we would be a different person. That there would be something in us tonight, God, that would be totally transformed and changed by your spirit and by your power. God Almighty, do in us what you want to do tonight. God, I thank you. I thank you.